right away. Hey, everybody, it's your host, Felipe. You're listening to the Total Basis Podcast, and with me, as always, is Sean uh, Flannery. But before I get to him, we have another guest. As we continue our Build a Lineup series here in 2021, we will be discussing the following six teams, the Diamondbacks, the Rangers, the Texas Rangers, not the New York Rangers, the Texas Rangers, the Milwaukee Brewers, the Chicago White Sox, the Philadelphia Phillies, and the New York Yankees. And with me is a White Sox fan, a real White Sox fan, not this fake White Sox fan bullshit you got going here with me every week. But I got our guy, Ricky Velasquez, who's a, a, a baseball life group member. And for those who don't know, you can listen to us and, and watch us live every Sunday morning at the Baseball Life Facebook group. And like I mentioned, Ricky is a Baseball Life member and he has uh, do, did us the big honor and favor of joining us this weekend. Ricky, how are you doing this morning? Man, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for the privilege of being on the show. Really enjoy you guys' show, all the platforms that are on uh, Baseball Life and, and throughout, you know, all the life groups. And just honored to be part of this process uh, this morning with you guys. Oh, man. Well, I greatly, I greatly appreciate it, man. I greatly appreciate you uh, waking up early with us. I know it's Sunday people would rather be sleeping or, or, or having brunch or whatever. But, uh, hey, baseball and brunch. Uh, yeah, shush. Shush over there, Sean. Um, so you're a White Sox fan, but you were telling us an interesting story, uh, actually all week, uh, kind of, uh, left my mind when I asked you again for the umpteen time, but, uh, you weren't always a White Sox fan. Is that correct, Ricky? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, my, my, my love started with the New York Mets. I can't lie. Um, I was born into what we call the world series of 1969, the amazing Mets that came back and beat the Chicago Cubs in that division during that time, during that race. And ended up winning. Oh, I'm sorry. You had that Cubs hat on. Uh, winning that championship. And so we moved to Chicago like in 79. And oh, wow. so I needed another team to root for because it was difficult at that time to try to follow a team all the way from the Midwest to the East Coast. And there was no way that I could root for the Cubs. So we ended <laughs> up going to a White Sox game. And that was it. Um, uh, I started falling in love with the, with the White Sox. And ever since then, you know, even though I really enjoyed my World Series 86 win, I still follow the Mets, um, but my heart belongs to the White Sox. I can't lie. Wow. I mean, that's pretty interesting. You get transplanted uh, uh, to another time zone, so to speak, or closer to the Great Lakes region. And, yeah, I mean, people do forget, that, like, how difficult it was back in the day to just follow your your team if you're, like, in a different part of the country. As a, there was no satellite TV, there was no uh, there was no MLB TV, MLB what? Network, or Sports <laughs> Center, or cable television, and you know, of course, the nightly news, uh, the local news, only cares about the local team. So it's a very interesting point there. As uh, like, how can you ditch the Mets? How can because I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. How can you ditch the New York Mets, man? Well, I'm going to tell you one more thing. The only thing that we had going for us at that time, there was a WGN network here in Chicago, as you know, Felipe, but. There was a, uh, the WOR network, which was from New York, and that was kind of like their superstation. Yeah. Cable provided that WOR here for the first couple of years in Chicago. So I was able to keep up with the Mets. I was able to watch Mets really? games. I was able to do that. And I think sometime around, I want to say around 81, 82, they stopped broadcasting Mets games. And so I really you know, kind of delved into 82 and then started watching the White Sox. And then in 84, when you got to the winning ugly team and you, you had that excitement uh, of the White Sox doing what they were doing in 84, it just became easy to transition over for me since I didn't have a way of, of following the, the well, it was actually 
83 was their playoff appearance uh, for the White Sox. So you, yeah. it kind of uh, was timed perfectly for you. Uh, yep. Unfortunately, they would lose to the Baltimore Orioles to the Cal Ripken was at his rookie campaign, I believe. Yeah. And uh, the rest is history. Uh, you know, what uh, they went on to sign Tony La Russa. Uh, what, wait, was Tony La Russa managing the 83 team? It, yes. Yeah. And now 20, odd, 30 odd years later, he's back with the team and as We're a, back full circle, <laughs> full circle. It's the circle of life. So, yeah, man, interesting stuff. Man. I always like talking about baseball history, and uh, that, that's a nice little uh, look back at it. And like I said, history always tends to repeat itself in weird ways. So here we are with Tony Arusa back at the helm. Uh, Sean, I haven't asked you, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm, I'm bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. Got to go back into work later today. So got to get this out of the way, maybe take a little nap before going back in. But it is uh, funny that he mentioned WOR. Uh, they were actually doing the Mets radio for the last like few years until like 2018, 2019. So that, that does ring a bell even for a Mets fan, you know, 30, 40 years later. And uh, he did mention WGN for a long time. WGN used to carry the White Sox games and mostly the Cubs games. And they're no longer doing any uh, baseball anymore for the first time in their history, it seems like. So things times are changing. So, yeah, history repeats itself, but... Times are always a changing, but uh, let's get to it, man. We have uh, 60 more players to pick here. I had the first run, the first pick overall this time around, followed by Ricky, who's uh, picking second, and uh, Sean, who will be picking dead last, but he'll get the snake around, so he'll get, I get the turn. I get that price. three one turn. <laughs> three one turn. <laughs> Uh, all right, so as, as, as soon as Sean is allowing me to share my screen, I can share my screen. Oh, uh, yeah, way, way to call me out there, Felipe. Yeah, it, it, that was my way of uh, code for Sean. Let me have my uh, share the screen here. <laughs> no. So, okay, there you go. <laughs> all right, let me see. Oh, here we go. All right, so I had the first pick, and I decided that I wanted to start at outfield. So we're going to start with the outfielders right here. And, of course, Christian Yelich kicking things off in this draft. We will. Uh, that's who I'm picking right off the bat is Christian Yelich, who has been one of my favorite players since uh, I read about him way, way back in 2000. 12 2013 and uh, I had him in one of my keeper leagues well before he was uh, prepared to be the Christian Yelich we all know and love so a lot of growing pains but yeah Christian Yelich is uh, one of my favorite players uh, simply because of fantasy baseball and and uh, you know you, you get I don't know Sean we talk about this a lot or not but uh, uh, you do get attached to some of these players uh, even if they're not on your own team you do get attached to some of these players, uh, if you've been following them and you've been uh, keeping track of them in fantasy. I don't know if uh, – let's start with Ricky. Ricky, do you have a player that's not a White Sox or, in this case, a Mets player who you kind of have grown attached to just for the simple fact that you play fantasy baseball? Oh, I mean, absolutely. You have a ton of them. Uh, if you're not just watching baseball anymore just for your team, I mean, Mookie Betts has been a guy that I've had uh, for several years, and and I just love having him on my team. There's uh, – He's just producers all the way around. So that's one of the guys that I, I follow heavy. And uh, Sean, do you have someone like that? Uh, I, I've tried. It seems I have a, a new team and with a new player I watch every year. Like the last or last in uh, 2019, uh, you know, with MLB TV, I tried to watch a lot of the Angels so I could really appreciate Mike Trout. Um, in 2020, last year, I really bounced around a lot of teams in the shortened seasons just trying to soak up as much baseball as I could. Uh, one team that I did find myself watching more was the Southsiders. And um, I know it wasn't the best year for a lot of their guys. Uh, Yoan Moncada has been someone I've always been high on. And 
he had COVID and was a bit of a down year for him. But you could tell just how bright the future was, especially with how Luis Robert just, you know, blew up on the scene, uh, even if he did fade down the stretch. But uh, they were a fun team to watch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, speaking of struggles, Christian Yelich also struggled last year. But again, hoping for the 2020 was just an anomaly argument and hoping for a big bounce back year because I still have him in, my, in that one keeper league I mentioned. So, uh, yeah, here's hoping that he returns to be an MVP caliber player. We go on to Eloy Jimenez, and of course, Ricky, being a White Sox fan, he picks Eloy Jimenez. Uh, aside from being a homer pick, why did you go with the uh, Eloy Jimenez pick here? You know, believe it or not, you start looking at at the teams. That I had a toss-up between Bryce Harper and Eloy Jimenez. I know a lot of people are not big on, on Bryce Harper, um, but when you start looking at the numbers across the board, they're very comparable numbers. Um, and the thing that I like about Eloy, he's just a little younger He's on the rise. Okay, defensively, there's a big knock there. But when you look at the strides that he's taken offensively, he sprays the ball to all sides you know, of the field. He, he loves to go to right field a lot. And for a power hitter, I, I think that's impressive because when you start hitting the ball to the right, eventually, um, when you start seeing the ball the way you're supposed to see it, you're going to be able to hit some powerful home runs. Eloy Jimenez has, has stepped up his game in every aspect. Besides defense, uh, he, we need to remove the nets from from the field so he can stop jumping into the nets. But other than that, I mean, he's producing. And with the lineup that the White Sox have, I, I just believe he's going to be an RBI machine to, for years to come. If the you nets would, aren't there, who's going to catch him when he jumps into the stands like a <laughs> humpback whale? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I think somebody, I think somebody put a chart up this week in Baseball Life talking about we don't really worry about that because the only thing that he's allowed to do is is have that little corner in left field because <laughs> Mr. Rivera is going to take care of the rest of it. Yeah, that's a, one of the running gags here at the at Total Basis Podcast is that it, Luis Robert is so important because he plays all three outfield positions for the White Sox. <laughs> oh, well, this year, Adam Eaton is on that team, so he'll get a little help. Uh, so maybe just the left side of the outfield. Move, we move on to Bryce Harper, who Ricky alluded to. Ricky did uh, – Come and then he changed his mind because uh, uh, Sean took about twelve hours to pick to make his first pick. <laughs> but I was uh, Bryce Harper, <laughs> but yeah, Bryce Harper, former mega star, superstar player, has now become America's most hated baseball player because he had that gargantuan contract. He's also a, a kind of a bad boy kind of person, bad boy. And um, but th- there's this illusion or this uh, connotation that he really doesn't produce. And uh, he's overrated, Sean. You obviously don't see it the same It's way a load that. of shit. I'm sorry, <laughs> Mom, if you're listening. But it's an absolute load of crock. I mean, he signs this giant contract. Whether he was worth it or not, probably not. He probably was worth a little bit less. But they paid for upside. Because this yeah. is a guy who had a 155 WRC plus in 2017. He had a 197 in his Ruthie in 2015. And then since joining the Phillies everyone sees a batting average in the two sixties and they want to just say, Oh, he's overrated. He was a four and a half win player in 2019. Uh, He almost went 2020. He had 35 home runs, 114 RBIs. Um, The RBIs were a career high uh, in his first year with the new team. That's kind of shocking. And then in 2020 uh, he had a 20% walk percentage and a strikeout rate under 18%. So he walked more than he struck out. Pitchers are fearing him, and they should because his batted ball metrics are just outstanding, as they've always been. 
You know, he hits the ball hard. And I think one thing that gets missed this year is his expected batting average, which takes into account, you know, your launch angle and your exit velocity. You know, if you're hitting it hard, but directly into the ground, your expected batting average isn't going to be that high. Uh, he was in the 96th percentile in that. He had a 307 expected batting average, which was the highest uh, in the StatCast era by over 12 points. So I, I think he's just now coming into his own. It's crazy to think that Bryce Harper's only 28, but he's just now figuring out that ballpark. He's there for, you know, what, the next 11 years. So yeah. I think we've still yet to see the premium Bryce Harper that's getting paid a lot of money for it. And Doesn't like, it feel like he's like 34 years old? He's been in the league so long. Yeah. And although man. I do like Eloy Jimenez and I get why Ricky picked him uh, in, in a fantasy draft, I definitely lean towards Bryce Harper a little bit more just because he's going to be chipping in some steals. Uh, he had 15 steals in 2019. His career high was 21 back with Washington. And he, he had eight in the shortened season. So Joe Girardi is going to let that team run, it looks like. I, if I was a Phillies fan, I'd be like freaking out that my 300 something million dollar contract players running for no reason. But hey, it works for fantasy. And I was going to mention uh, in terms of most feared hitters, as Sean mentioned, since 2011, Bryce Harper, I guess you could say he leads the league and seen the less amount of pitches in the strike zone, according to fan graphs, uh, among all, all the active players. Thanks Bryce a lot, Harper, Joe Madden. Yeah, <laughs> Bryce Harper uh, sees 38.1% of uh, pitches inside the strike zone, which is a, a, a league low. No one sees less than he does. Uh, other guys on this list is guys like Javier Baez, Joey Gallo, Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, so, yeah, he's in good company. And like you said, he is very feared. Uh, but uh, like we move on to Aaron Judge. And I wanted to just mention that Henry called you out saying that you can't objectively objectively talk about the Yankees, but here you are picking in uh, a Yankees player. And if you look at the team, Henry, uh, shout out to Henry host of the dong city podcast. Uh, I I do. I like the Yankees. I like a lot of their hitters. Are some of them overrated? Yes. Is this guy one that I picked overrated? No, he just can never stay on the field. Aaron judge is an absolute behemoth. Odd and off the field uh, in 2020, uh, the walk rate came down, which is something that worries me. Exit velos were down a little bit too. He only played in 28 of the 60 games. Uh, he was my number one overall pick in that 30 team dynasty, and it's really kind of biting me in the ass. But when he is clicking on all cylinders, he is a easy 30 home run threat. I mean, in his last two years, he's played 112, 102 games, and he's been at 27 home runs both times. So if you take that out over 150, he's, what, 45, 50 easy. Um, He just needs to stay healthy, and that'll always be the question going forward with him. So uh, he he chips in everywhere, great OBP, solid batting average, you know, is probably a league-leading contender for home runs every time. Uh, you can't go wrong with them. And for me to get both Harper and Judge, I thought was awesome. Yeah, man, you, you pretty much got the two premier outfielders of the last, uh, what, five years or so. Uh, you know, both deemed overrated. But uh, when they're, especially Aaron Judge, when he's healthy, he's an MVP candidate. I mean, facts are facts. Moving on to Luis Robert, we just kind of alluded to a little bit earlier in the podcast. Uh, but uh, Ricky went White Sox back-to-back picks here. Uh 
Are you, Ricky, concerned about uh, Luis Robert's uh, tumultuous fall in the second half last year? Um, a little concerned because of the plate discipline. Um, he needs to, to really work on that this year. I believe his, uh, his strikeout rate last year was like about 32%. Um, chasing that slider, chasing that breaking ball away. Um, I think sometimes he pressed a little bit. He, when he got down to that final round with Kyle Lewis uh, for the rookie of the year, I thought that Luis Robert had, had it in a bag. He started pressing a little bit. He started trying to do too much. And you could just see that he wasn't disciplined at the plate. Um, and that got in his mind. I don't know if he was dealing with some injuries. I know he had crashed against the wall. And ever since he had uh, made that play that crashed against the wall, mm. it was a couple of weeks there at the end where he seemed to struggle a lot at the plate. He did seem to come back in the playoffs against Oakland, but let's hope that he could put that behind him. I, I'd hope somebody's working with him this year to, to really uh, hone in on his discipline on the plate, because if that kid can figure it out and understand that he could work some counts in his favor, He's going to be dangerous. Oh, man. Luis Robert led the league last year, uh, according to fan grabs, led the league in swing percentage and swinging strike percentage. So uh, a little bit you wrong. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, Michael that's Scott. That's right, Sean. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's that's going to be a theme with the White Sox every year because Tim Anderson also uh, leads the league. Uh, he's among the league leaders in uh, – Often uh, outside the zone swinging strike right there with Luis Robert. So there that and uh, Eloy Jimenez is number six on that list. So it's a lineup full of aggressive guys. The difference is those other two I just mentioned know how to make contact, and Luis Robert is just raw like Monday nights. So what's funny with Luis Robert is he was actually better against breaking balls than he was any other type of pitch class between uh, fastballs, breaking balls, and off speed. Uh, he batted two fifty nine against breaking pitches and had a 565 slugging with seven of his 11 home runs coming against breaking balls. Obviously a lot of those were the ones that didn't break out of the zone. Rolling but, breaking balls. <laughs> yeah. And I'm telling you, he can put a charge and if you hang it, Ooh. he, he crushed some balls. Uh, I think it's kind of scary, but you can see the upside. If you look at player uh, baseball savants, player similarity tool, the names that come up with Luis Robert, Aaron judge, Eugenio Suarez and Keston Hira, that's good. You know, those are three good names. But the other two names on the list, Jacoby Jones and Harrison Bader. Mm. And I think that just explains how high the ceiling is, but at the same time, how low that floor can be unless the hit tool really progresses. And he's a guy in the minors who got by, much like Ahmed Rosario of the Mets, uh, he got by on just having, you know, these lightning quick hands. He had more power than Rosario ever had. But he consistently posted, you know, like 300 batting averages. He was a 312 hitter in the minors. And then he gets to the majors and pitchers figure you out. I mean, those pitchers may, came up through the minor leagues, too. They know what they're doing. And uh, if he just needs to make that adjustment, but it's much easier said than done. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on to Cattell Marte. I was not very excited to make this pick, but it seemed <laughs> like uh, – it seemed like that was, this is a running theme for these uh, lineups is that it, it gets thin very quickly. And with the White Sox fan behind me, I'm not going to get uh, all the White Sox players that I want. As uh, they, I mean, they're a very talented team. But, yeah, uh, uh, I'm kind of uh, behind the eight ball here if I'm uh, picking uh, this uh, on the other opposite end of the uh, this little mini Jeff we got going here. So Kettle, Kettle Marte, right? Um, you know, I'm hoping that the power comes back, I guess, at this point, uh, he still hits in Arizona. 
Um, doesn't strike out a lot, doesn't take a lot of walks either. But, you know, we're banking that the 2019 can come back. I don't think it will. But compared to everybody else on this uh, list, uh, he seemed to be the best player available at this spot. Now, get to a guy like Joey Gallo, however, and that's one of my favorite players in baseball right now. I don't know if you guys saw that I do. Uh, our guy, Steven, uh, from Texas, I hope he's doing well. I haven't heard from him. I hope he's doing well. I know Texas is going through some things right now. But um, last, uh, he, uh, well, actually, he didn't do it. But uh, for one of the Secret Santa years, uh, a member gave me a Joey Gallo jersey, and then Steven gave a Joey Gallo onesie for my daughter, so we're, we could both be matching. <laughs> That's how much I like Joey Gallo, right? Like, I, I'm willing to wear his jersey. So Joey Gallo is just an absolute behemoth. I mean, it's power and more power, max power, if you could. Uh, I know what was it, Sean, uh, rekindle my memory here, but I think he was hurt for the majority of the year. But 2019, he pretty much uh, was an instrumental player uh, for my uh, points league. So I'm hoping the same could be uh, duplicated this season as uh, a concern with him is this high strikeouts, but I'm telling you, I had him on my points league. And as long as he's able to hit those bombs, it doesn't matter how many times he strikes out. Cause he always makes up for it. Uh, yeah. Ahead, in Sean. 2019 in that first half before he got hurt, he had actually was hitting a career high 253. Um, and then in 2020, that batting average came back down to 180. Uh, but he still hit for power. He had 10 home runs over 57 games. That the only issue I worry about with Joey Gallo is he outright said that that new ballpark plays small uh, or, or plays big. And then you add into the fact that MLB is deadening the balls and you have dead balls in a big park that they haven't touched yet. And I'm sure if they have offensive issues, those fences will come in. That's what happens with every new stadium. Yeah. But uh, unless he gets traded, which I thought would have happened already. Um, he's somebody that, although I do like, I might have to avoid. Oh, wow. Look at that. Well, I mean, on this list, the, like the, the pickings were slim. I still love Joey Gallup, but I mean, I actually just... really liked your Marte pick. I think he's the steal of drafts right now because after 2019, you know, his ADP was like in the twenties and thirties. And now he had a slight down year. It wasn't even that terrible. The power went away, but the skills were still there. And now his ADP is in like the 80s. And he's a guy who gives you a little bit of power, good average, stolen bases. I don't know what there's multi-position eligibility. Like, I, I don't know what there's to not like. But uh, I actually love the Marte pick. Yeah, well, even before all that, I, I it, he's still too high for me. I'd be avoiding him. Like, I always avoid him, but... Uh, at least I don't feel so bad for uh, picking him as my second outfielder. Uh, but uh, like I said, the pickings are slim because now Ricky has to pick a guy like Clint Frazier. It looks like he'll finally get to start. But the fact, a little bit of foreshadowing here, the fact that uh, Sean goes on and picks up Aaron Hicks uh, shows. And, and we made these picks before the Brett Garner uh, signing as well. So there might be a role that Brett Garner still plays with his Yankees team. So, Ricky, with all that being said, how confident are you that Clint Frazier will be playing uh, the majority of time in outfield for that team. Well, you know, Boone already announced that he's going to be the starting left fielder. That was prior to Gardner signing uh, the other day, or as I like to refer to him, Caillou. I know a lot of people, you know, that big ball headed uh, head comparison. He really doesn't like him. Henry loves him. Henry's happy that he got to sign back on. Um, hey, Gardner's been a, one of those guys that's just been magical for the Yankees. He yeah. seems to produce. He, Sometimes makes some boneheaded, you know, but he he's a he's a guy that that comes up with a big hit. He's he's always there. But 
Clint Frazier was given an opportunity. One of the things that as a young Yankee player that you can have in the Yankees is an opportunity because everyone's always getting hurt. Clint Frazier came up last year. Um, he got sent down after two games. He got, got called back up and he, he delivered. Um, I believe he had eight home runs last year. Mm -hmm. Um, He's only going to get better with playing time. And, and I look forward to, to seeing what Cliff Frazier has to offer. Moving on to Aaron Hicks, like I said, back-to-back -back Yankees picks here. Um, and I, don't forget, um, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say this, but uh, obviously all six of these teams must be represented in these lineups. Uh, so I always try to make sure I do that right away, right off the bat, so I don't have to worry about it later. Uh, but getting back to the Aaron Hicks picks, uh, intriguing player. But now he's, uh, I think he's 31 now. He's he always is like the oldest looking 31 I've ever seen in my life. Well, I would have thought he was at least 34, 35. When remember, I saw he was 31, way, I was like, what? <laughs> that's the way baseball is now. 27, 28, that's a new 30, 31 now. So if you're 31, you're basically 35 years old at this point of, of your career. That's just the way it works nowadays. But uh, Aaron Hicks. What can you tell us about Aaron Hicks that we don't know about him already? I mean, 27, 2018 were obviously the peak years posted. Uh, way to runs created plus 128 and 129 in those two seasons combined for almost eight and a half war. Uh, but health has been something that's gotten in the way. Um, 2019, he only played 59 games. 2020, he played 54 games. Of course, he, he is someone who probably benefited from a shortened season in which he was able to, you know, not have to plan out, you know, off days. And I'm sure Girardi, you know, kind of helped out there or not Girardi <laughs> Boone uh, talking about Girardi earlier uh, Hicks in an average of a normal category, five by five categories league is someone that drops a lot. Um, and that's because the last two years, his batting average has been right in the two high two twenties, low two thirties. Um, he walks a lot. So he is somewhat better in OBP leagues. He had a 379 on base in 2020. Um, he chips in some home runs, some stolen bases. Uh, you know me, I like my walk rate guys, so I went with Aaron Hicks here. Uh, the defense is no longer what it used to be, which is slightly worrying because if that defense starts to falter, I think the Yankees could look at Mike Talkman getting more playing time. Oh, uh, Mike Talkman is by far probably the best all-around uh, three-positioned outfield defender. Um, obviously, uh, Judge is a gold glover in right field. But um, if Hicks has any injury issues, Talkman could be a guy to target. But I like Hicks and, you know, his established uh, plate discipline. And then uh, look at this, guys. Uh, we were talking about the White Sox, mostly because, you know, a couple of White Sox fans are in here. Don't let the hat fool you. But look at this. One, two, three, four. Five Yankees are picked in a row here. That's, I don't know what that says about the, the Yankees team as a whole or what that says about the other teams. But, yeah, it's going to be all Yankees talk all the time for the next couple of uh, uh, segments here. So let's move on to DJ LeMahieu, who was one of the big uh, – we talked about it, Sean. He was one of the big uh, free agents that was available this year. He re-signs with the team, uh, and uh, we are expecting big things again from him. Is that uh, true still, or uh, did you have any uh, – well, I, I, I want to address something. Leon is saying that the uh, the disrespect level for Stanton is amazing, but I want to say that Stanton this year doesn't even qualify for outfield after last season. Yeah, he's only DH only this. Yeah, year. so he's DH only. So I couldn't pick him over Aaron Hicks. Um, I, I, trust me, I, 
if I could, I would have. And then if it's a conversation between Giancarlo Stanton and DJ LeMayhew, um, I'm going to pick the guy that doesn't have issues staying healthy and is, you know, a 350 hitter the last two years. Uh, so, yeah, I went with uh, DJ LeMayhew. Uh, there's not much to say other than court, uh, not course field. Yankee Stadium was built for him. I mean, a guy that when in Colorado faced four man outfields that were completely shifted to the right side. Um, that just screamed to go to Yankee Stadium. And it doesn't shock me that he stayed there. I think he had zero mind thinkings of leaving. Uh, so he's going to be a significant fantasy asset, even though he is already 32. And that ballpark and that lineup, and he is starting to learn how to pull the ball some more for more power. But he still just – he gets so many home runs just hitting it to that short porch in right field. Um, he's a stud, absolute stud. Your number one second baseman uh, in fantasy, Sean, or no? Yeah, he's probably right there at one. I, right. it, there's a, a couple of close seconds, but, yeah, he's one. All right. Mo- moving on, we go to a former second base eligible player in Glebar Torres. He's now only eligible at shortstop, but uh, there were rumors that he might switch to second base depending on who they would pick up, but I guess that's off the table now. Uh, Glebar Torres is always an interesting player because he's so young, he's so raw, he – has high pedigree. Uh, and then last year, uh, he kind of fell off the earth. I know he was hurt. Uh, Ricky, you obviously see a big bounce back this year for uh, Glabar Torres. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I look at, um, you know, if you look at my team, you're, you're going to notice one thing. I do I do some keeper leagues. So I kind of tend to lean toward those young players that are going to be around for a while. Um, yeah, and and Glabar Torres fits that criteria. I mean, he definitely had an off year last year, but I'm hoping back, you know, for him to be back in his norm, normal numbers, somewhere between, you know, 25, 30 home runs, maybe somewhere between 75 and 85 RBIs. Um, I think that's some good production where where, where he's going to sit in. Um, shortstop, second base, they could use him, you know, up the middle, depending on how they're going to play uh, DJ LeMahieu there. Uh, he'll probably play some second base, maybe some, you know, move around some first base here and there. So, uh, you know, Glabar is one of those guys. You you would hope that he he would come back to the potential that he's showing. And like you mentioned earlier, maybe this is just an anomaly of him having one of those off years. And and we'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm high on Glabar. I know that there, I know Sean always alludes to the fact that um, his what was it? He he's so much of a line drive hitter to be that uh, consistent with the home run numbers. Is if that's the uh, I, I just don't. He hits a lot of line drives, but he doesn't necessarily drive the ball. Uh, his exit velo numbers are just kind of middling, always been around league average or worse. Um, what, like but in that ballpark, if he, can, if he can consistently lift it enough and face the Orioles 20 times a year, he should be fine, right? <laughs> I mean, he's in the right I'm, division, I'm right? always the low person on Glaber Torres, and I always get ripped for it, but you know, it is what it is. He's in the right division for sure. I mean, that's why it, that, it comes with a price tag. I mean, last year he was a borderline first round pick. I almost, Sean, as you know, we talk about it. I almost picked him in uh, first round overall in the uh, baseball life fan tracks league. And then I changed my mind at the last minute, got Juan Soto instead. And I was able to get Glabar Torres anyway. So it worked out for me, but I think he's been going in the third or fourth round, which again, he, the, the reason he doesn't drop too low. I still is- think you're paying a premium for, a question mark like well, well that's 30 the point. 38 I mean, home runs just isn't happening again well that's the point it, it, it isn't <laughs> it comes with the price tag though you you just mentioned that if he hits uh against the orioles all the time i mean he will 
he's in the he's in that division where all the ballparks are nice and hitter friendly. So that's part of the price package you get with him. You yeah, get. I just feel like shortstop is so deep now compared oh, to uh, prior yeah, years for sure. that I can totally year. justify myself in not paying the premium for him in getting somebody else and getting a, a still a great shortstop. And we move on to the last Yankee of this Yankee bunch, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, who you just mentioned, uh, Leon mentioned, um, uh, Leon listening in. He's a, a, what do you call it, a, a broadcaster. He does the uh, Step Back Basketball Podcast over at the Spallest Life Group. So check him out Wednesday nights along with Jacob Moses. Giancarlo Stanton, uh, again, just like Joey Gallo, big time power. I guess there's a certain theme going here with me as uh, Joey Gallo and Giancarlo Stanton going back to back. Uh, I like his power. I don't like the fact that he's always hurt. It stinks. Uh, the strikeouts are too high as well. But just like Joey Gallo, as long as he produces, it doesn't really matter because even in points leagues, he can be very productive. So, uh, yeah, I am. Uh, I think this year I will, even though he's only DH eligible, I will aggressively pursue Giancarlo Stanton uh, in this one. Sean, do you have anything else to say about Giancarlo Stanton before oh. we move on? I don't really, aside from I made a really dank meme about him, and I will share it with us later uh, while I pull it up and find it. But you can uh, take us on continually. All righty. So moving on to who we got here. Ah, so I, you know, it's still my turn. I decided that let's go to catcher now, and I ended up getting the what I still think is the best <laughs> catcher in all of baseball, and JT Real Muto. Um, I, I know that he just. Uh, concerns about him aging and uh, injury prone and, and he's already heard he has a thumb injury but still when he's healthy and compared to all the other catchers there's really nothing out there so you might as well just snatch him if you uh, don't want to deal with the uh, I don't know the James McCann's of the world so to speak or the Gary Sanchez's of the world the, those uh, catcher number 12 and 13 might as well go after him I like him I still believe in him for at least in the uh, short term the next couple of years and then we'll see what happens. Yasmani Grandal, Ricky, another uh, homer pick, so to speak, right? But I, I'm a big fan of Yasmani Grandal, even if he wasn't with the White Sox. But what do you like about Grandal uh, at the number two spot here? Listen, what's not there to like, right? You said it. he's probably number two, arguably probably the number one catcher in baseball. It, it seems like I have a lot of homer picks, but you guys have to understand the White Sox have nine out of the top 100 players in MLB. So it's just going to be easy pickings for me to pick the White Sox all the time. I mean, when you look at you picking JT Romalto, who's left? I mean, Grandel is the best, you know, next, next option here. And so you take a guy who's a switch hitting catcher, um, has powers from both sides, um, you know, defensively, you know, he's, he's a solid catcher. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what, you know, what he brings to the table this year. Again, um, they had a decent year last year and it's, I like to see the whole, you know, the whole package. I know coming out of the staying in the Midwest here, coming from the Brewers over to the, to the White Sox, um, got to see a little bit of him over there, kind of love the signing and, and love to see where we go moving forward here. Oh man, I was ecstatic when they signed him last year. So I, I'm, I know again, just like JT Rumulto. Oh, why are you signing these catches long term? And Sean, we always talk about this. Have you seen who the top five, top six, top eight catches are? They're all in their thirties. It doesn't matter. Uh, not Fresh Prince, aka catcher number one of <laughs> well, 2021. The, even he, he's gonna have to do some splitting time with Austin Barnes and uh, catchers. The they all split time. 
Unless your name is JT Romuto, they're going to split time. Because Monty Grandal's maybe will split less time because he'll DH more. But like, like come on like what no no it's it's all relative sean come on it's the fact that austin barnes is just always lurking for for those uh personal catching days i mean that that just i i mean i love i like will smith but he would if you were to guarantee that he would play like four out of six uh, out of the seven games or whatever or maybe five plays at least 100 games this year okay what what about the rest of the 60 games (laughs) Uh, they have uh, i don't know austin barnes kyber ruiz you know they had kyber ruiz too so they got it's better than kyber ruiz that that was how i I knew i was a special person when in that 30 team dynasty i had both kyber ruiz who was much highly touted compared to will smith and i said i'm gonna pass on ruiz and i'm gonna draft will smith two rounds later and that worked out gloriously because since debuting, he's been one of the best hitting catchers in baseball. So that, there's that. See, there's a three-headed uh, monster at catcher for, and w- once again, another mid-20s catcher is getting shafted because they don't believe in him just yet. But, you know, we talked about the Travis Darnos of the world, the uh, Yasmani Grandals, and the JT Realmudos. And then we get to Omar Narvaez, who is a personal favorite of Sean. Uh, he's always talking about him. Uh, Om- uh, Omar Narvaez, uh, any new... Uh, any anything new about him though, today, I mean he so. was he was really really bad in 2020 he batted under 200 um the power that we thought was just starting to blossom uh just went away uh but he's one of those few catchers that the Brewers have nobody behind him so he should be playing a lot and one thing that will keep him in the lineup that isn't fantasy relevant is he went from being one of the worst framers in baseball to one of the best uh maybe that's just a short sample thing but apparently he did put in some work before the 2020 season. So if that keeps his bat in the lineup and he plays, you know, batting around Christian Yelich in front of, behind, whatever, this is a guy who over the last three years, uh, his batting average hasn't dipped below 275 and is topped out at 278. He's just a consistent average hitter that I think really gets slept on in fantasy. And he really shouldn't because there are not many catchers out there that can hit 275 in a season. And he's shown the ability to do it three times. All right. On my other screen, I'm just doing something really quick because this is bothering me about the catching position. All right. So here is, according to Fantasy Pros from the last time I I, I looked at their catching rankings, uh, which was a while back ago, but that's what I'm going with right now. All right. Here are the top catchers in their ages, right? Salvador Perez, age 31. Wilson Contreras, age 29. JT Real Muto, age 30. And then there's Will Smith, who we just mentioned. He's getting shafted by the Dodgers. And he's in his mid-20s. So, Yasmani Grandal, age 32. Travis Darno, age 32. Gary Sanchez, 28. And his stock is dipping. Darno and Grandal are the same age. That's so weird. Yeah, they're entering their age 32 season, according to my spreadsheet that I look, I'm look. i looking here on the opposite screen. Christian Vasquez is 30 years old, and he's a top 10 catcher for some ungodly reason. I don't get that. Him and Sean Roberto Murphy. Perez are, like, totally sold on their 2019 seasons. Sean Murphy, who's in his mid-20s, he's the number nine catcher. And last I checked, there's uh, I could have sworn when I saw the Oakland Athletics roster resource page that they were showing that he might be splitting time with their, his, the backup over there. And I, I can't remember. I have to look the, into it. But um, the fact that he's number nine and not ranked higher, that just is another red flag for me. Austin Nola, 31 years old. He finally made it, Sean. He, after <laughs> years of being a backup and not hey, going look, to be Ma, I made it. <laughs> first base with the Mariners or getting traded by DePoto, he finally finds a home in the top 10 spot at the age of 31. Mitch Garber, number 11, at age 30. Your guy, James McCann, age 31. Yadier Molina, 38. He's number 14. Buster Posey, number 15, 34 years old. 
older is better at the catching position. All right. Absolutely. This is the fact, you know. And then Omar Narvaez, number 20. They, they just take a long time. They take longer than you. usual. And then so they age like milk. So it's that's why I'll never understand the, the JC Romito contract. Like, yeah, you, you just retain the best catcher in baseball, but for how long? Well, I, I would like the Mets a lot better if Real Muto wasn't that team. Well, I wouldn't. And we've had this conversation all before. the time. All the time, yes. Hey, you know, um, catchers, catchers are like point guards, man. Let me give you a crossover thing here, but you know, uh, you know, let me jump in on the ball is life thing for a second here. But uh, you know, the point guards, uh, as the years go on, they just get uh, they get a little more savvy. They understand, and I think that's what happens with catchers. You know, the more they they call the game, the better they get, and their rankings are going to go up. Their bodies deteriorate, but their rankings are going to go up. So nice. Felipe, I will give you your screen back, but yeah, this ahead. was this was the meme I posted on Twitter. Uh, somebody who's like, I just was able to draft Stanton at one forty three, and he said I was really excited, and then I realized I stuck with Stanton. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will give you your screen back. I just wanted to share that. I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, uh, where were we? Where were we? ah, Luke Boyd. This, this is why I use highlighter right here. Luke Voigt, um, you went with Luke Voigt over Jose Abreu, who's ranked higher, had an MVP year. Uh, why, Sean? Why? Why over Jose Abreu? Because yeah. I'm not the, I'm never the highest person on Jose Abreu. And I think not. Luke Voigt has been the most underrated first baseman of the last three years. And I, I know it's hard to be underrated when you play for the Yankees, but uh, over the last three seasons, his waiter earns create a plus has been. Uh, 144 over 220 or 905 played appearances, 221 uh, games. My fam graphs is being really weird, so it's all off center, but yeah, he's been elite offensively. Um, the only thing that was weird in 2020 compared to 2019 was the walk rate came down, mm. but his slugging percentage like skyrocketed. It was 671 in limited time in 2018, came down to 464 in 19 and then went back above 6'10 in 2020, but with a walk rate of about half of what it was in 2019. So he's still maybe figuring it out, like what exactly he's trying to do. I don't know, but uh, we'll see. And uh, I do apologize. It wasn't Sean Murphy. He's solidly in the catching yeah. position. In Especially Oakland. after they traded Jonah Heim. No, I was thinking about Tom Murphy, who all of a sudden is no longer the starting catcher in the, for the Seattle Mariners. So apologies for that one. Uh, okay, so speaking of Jose Abreu, uh, Ricky just damn, snatches damn. him up right away. No hesitation. The former MVP. Uh, Come on. Say that again one more time for the people in the back. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of, like, hate from Leon here. He both uh, – I think Bushnell and Leon both said something. Like, uh, damn, I'm uh, sorry, oh, guys. If you say anything bad about the White Sox, Bushnell's <laughs> going to go after you no matter what. So, hey, but, Matt's uh, got my back. That's right. Matt's got my back. <laughs> Let me uh, tell you something. You want a model consistency. Sure, yeah. he's not going to be the flashiest player, but former rookie of the year, current MVP, Jose Abreu, what's not to love about him? I know Henry is big on J-Ram, but you know what? 21 first place votes for MVP versus eight. It wasn't even close. Yeah, well, yeah it, it was year. a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't close. Okay. Ripoff would be, you know, something closer, maybe by one or two votes. He, he tripled, he tripled him in votes for first place. He led every category except home runs by one. 
Um, yeah. He was just dominating. He's slugging percentage at, you know, 617 last year, OBP at 370. Uh, Jose Abreu um, has just been a model consistency. His defense has improved. He's not the best defender, but he's not the worst defender. Um, and it seems like the one thing that I would like to see a little more improvement on Jose Abreu is that um, he does struggle sometimes, um, you know, at the plate. All of a sudden, he just loses. I don't know if he's losing concentration, but sometimes he just looks really bad at the plate at times. Um, but when you need him for a big hit, I'd rather have nobody on the White Sox right now at the plate than Jose Abreu to deliver with a big hit. And that's part of the reason that he struggles. Just like I mentioned earlier on the podcast, that White Sox lineup is full of aggressive hitters. And Jose Abreu, although not as extremely as aggressive as Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, and Tim Anderson, he's still a top 25 outside the swing percentage guy, uh, which, you know, he is what he is, right? At least he makes consistent contact, right? But yeah. when you're chasing, well, you're going to be hitting those weak grounders to second and to short, and you're an automatic out because you don't run as fast. So that's part of the uh, the uh, the hair pulling with Jose Abreu. But he put it together last year in a 2020 MVP campaign, since I didn't get a chance to say it uh, when Ricky uh, requested that I say it. Uh, 2020 MVP for the American League, uh, Jose Abreu. And what do we have here? Ah, okay, here. I, I, I just want to re- rest Make my it bigger, Sean. Make it bigger. I can't see it. There you go. It, it should be blown up now. Uh, I'm not going to be able to zoom in any further. I don't. I don't think. Oh, but right. uh, yeah, I mean they're nearly identical. Voight lapsum in OBP and slugging over the last three years. Um, in 600 less plate appearances, he only has 16 less home runs than Jose Abreu. Um, I, I do think Jose Abreu is really, really good. I'm going to stop sharing so you can have the screen back. Okay. Um, but now you're paying a premium for a guy who did just win MVP. Um, if guys who win awards always, you know, they're there's so much helium with them that I did like Jose Abreu in past drafts. Cause like you said, he is an absolute model of consistency. He is kind of like the first base version of Kyle Seager that a lot of people slept on, but he was an absolute lock for 275, 20 home runs and hundred RBIs or 80 plus RBIs. But um, why pick Jose Abreu in the top 50 when I can get Luke Voigt, like right outside the top 100, I think. That's a good point. I mean, last year, Jose Abreu was going as the uh, number as as low as the number 12 first baseman uh, um, in fantasy league. So and of course, the things change overnight, so to speak. And now he's what the number two, number three first baseman coming into this year. Yeah. So, so Jose Abreu, uh, his ADP right now is 36. Uh, oh, Luke Voigt is 57 with a high yeah. of 67. So yeah, with, you, know, uh, the value you definitely get him at least two, three rounds later. Oh, there's not, no doubt the value there is better with Boyd, yeah. With Boyd, yeah. But not, not, not to get into uh, politics here, but I have to bring it up with, with the White Sox fan on board, and this is local politics, so not to get too political, but there was a time where the arguments were always about Anthony Rizzo versus Jose Abreu. And for a long time, it looked like Anthony Rizzo was the more well-rounded player over Jose Abreu. It's 2021. In Chicago first-base politics, who – who is the best first baseman in for the uh, Cubs or White Sox? Is it Jose Abreu or Anthony Rizzo all around? Ricky, let's see you first. You know, I was going to defer to Sean because I didn't want him to be a homer pick. No, 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 no I'm asking you, I, man. I like Anthony Rizzo. <laughs> Putting you on I, the spot. I, I'm going to tell you, I like Anthony Rizzo. He's more flashy, but I think he comes with a package with him and Chris Bryant. Um, not only they love to have fun on the field, but off the field. Um, he's definitely, you know, a more all-around guy, entertaining kind of guy. But right now, 
I mean, I think that Jose Obreos is has hit his peak. He he's not he doesn't have a ceiling anymore. He's either got a plat he's plateaued already. So he's on his way down. I don't think that he's going to have another repeat season um, unless he does something incredible. But um, it, you know, it, I'm not going to pick Rizzo over a brain, but um, th- he's a hell of a player. I'll, I'll say that. Before I get to you, Sean, I just want to say that uh, he mentioned Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo probably have more fun than Jose Abreu. Hey, man, what, you think Jose Abreu doesn't have fun with all the other Cubans on that team? Come on, you know how I love to look at that, man. Dale, Jose, dale. Sean, I guess this is more of a real-life uh, question. Uh, All-around best uh, first baseman, Jose Abreu or Anthony Rizzo? I think Abreu has a higher floor. But I think Rizzo has a slightly higher ceiling just in case that he does get back to what he has done before. I think his more all around game, uh, you know, he's a gold glover at first. Uh, he runs the bases relatively well, you know, for a first baseman. Um, and uh, he's had, a, you know, a down year or two. I can't remember Rizzo's numbers off the top of my head in 2020. But uh, then entire Cubs offense really seemed to have a down year. But uh, it's close. Uh, I'd, I'd take Rizzo just by a, a smidge just because of the defense and all-around, you know, ability. All right. Well, that means I got stuck uh, drafting Andrew Vaughn as uh, the, uh, the, the talent level. Once you go after the Yankee players and the White Sox players, the talent level just 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 dips. Oh, did I not share my screen? My bad. Uh, the talent level just dips, and I'm like, well, I don't like any of these first basemen uh, that are out there. Uh, maybe Reese Hoskins, but I have a I have a really good feeling that I can wait on Reese Hoskins. So I went with the high upside guy and Andrew Vaughn. Uh, everybody keeps telling me how good Vaughn will be once he gets um, uh, what do you call it? called up. But the problem is with the White Sox, there's no room for him at first base. There's no room with him for him at designated hitter because you're going to have to give Eloy Jimenez those at bats. You're going to have to give Yasmani Grandal those at bats. So, but still, I mean, Ricky, as you alluded to, you're a keeper guy. You're in the right podcast. Sean and I are also keeper guys. Sean even goes a step further and he's a dynasty guy. And uh, for a podcast like this and for an exercise like this, I think Andrew Vaughn is a perfect uh, pickup here. Uh, Nick Madrigal at second base. I know I don't like him a lot, but (laughs) compared to everybody else and just to kind of stick it to Sean and Ricky, he's on my team now because I know how much you guys like him. Magical is a very intriguing player, uh, diminutive little guy. I call him slappy for good reason. But uh, the upside is that he will one day become Jose Altuve. With trash cans or not the trash cans, it remains to be seen. Uh, my concern is the minor league numbers show that he did not show a lot of pop. But it, everybody keeps telling me that the pro, he does profile to have some power. I don't see it. But uh, at the very worst, he could be a steady 320 stolen base guy. So that... I, I'm for this exercise, I'm more than willing to just uh, pick up on him as opposed to the more higher upside, higher potential Keston Kiura, who I absolutely love and adore. But number one, those strikeouts are, are very, um, they're very concerning. And number two, uh, I don't see the same consistency out of him. Uh, how do you view that, Ricky? Well, you know, 30, 34.6% strikeout rate is definitely alarming. Um, but you know, he's got some potential and, and not only is he has second base, I don't think he's going to play second base. I mean, Colton Wong is, is coming over to the Brewers this year and he's going to be uh, moving into that position. I think he'll be more first baseman this year. Um, so 
yeah, he's got to definitely, you know, get down on uh, on those strikes. But, uh, you know, he, he's a decent he's a decent pickup. Uh, somebody that I like uh, for the future. Um, he's doing some things and he's got some good upside to him. Moving on to Sean, uh, as uh, time is flying by this morning, I can't believe that we're already uh, what almost an hour in, Sean, and yeah. we're still at the infield position. So let's uh, quickly wrap things up here uh, so we can get to the pitchers. Nick Solak, down year last year. Uh, I, if I was going to target him, but I kind of hesitated. Uh, and then I realized that he had, a like I said, down year last year. Do you see a big bounce back, I'm assuming? Uh, here, I don't think he's a huge bounce back, but I think he's a guy that you can target from middle infield that could just inadvertently, if given the plate appearances, sneak into a 2020 season. And then this time next year, he has like an ADP that like Dylan Moore has now, which is outrageously high. So this is a time to get him because over 91 games so far in his career between 2019 and 2020, he has seven home runs and nine stolen bases. Uh, he has a solid walk to strikeout numbers. Uh, he was always a professional hitter in the minors, but Tampa Bay, um, I think he's a really good player. He plays all over the field. Texas needs to find him plate appearances, and if they do, he's going to be a fantasy threat just because of his ability for power and speed. And then you got Tim Anderson immediately after that. I mean, that's a slam dunk at shortstop. I, I didn't even want Tim Anderson. I, <laughs> there's I'm, nobody just left. Just like Labor Torres, I'm the low person on Tim Anderson, but I do think there's been a legitimate skill change. Uh, back-to-back years of being in the 90th percentile or higher in expected batting average. Um, some people are going to just point to his BABIP and say, oh, it's a 400 BABIP, that's too high. I, I think whatever he's doing now is is real. Um, I mean, 296 and 19, 293 and 20. Uh, he doesn't walk. That's probably the biggest hit against him. But he's a batting title contender. Um, the stolen bases, it'll be interesting to see how LaRusso lets this team run um, because that could really boost the fantasy value of basically all the White Sox hitters. Uh, Moncada has a lot of speed that's been hampered by, you know, hamstring injuries and stuff, yeah. but he had a, a couple of 30 steel seasons in the minors. And if Moncada turns into a potential 30, 30 guy, I mean, he's a first rounder next year. Um, uh-huh. Tim Anderson can steal 20, 25 bags and he's probably his value goes up, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. And I just wanted to point out his plate approach there, Sean. You mentioned uh, whatever he's doing is working. He's basically been doing the same thing he's been doing this whole time with uh, low walks, uh, relatively high strikeouts, uh, a very low walk-to-strikeout ratio, which uh, at one point kind of was matching a guy like Alcides Escobar. And to me, that was going to be his his final output was he was going to become Alcides Escobar. And, you know, he finally clicked uh, that bat speed along with that aggressive style. It works for him. So, you know, if, even if he hits a 400 BABIP, as long as it works, that's all that matters, right? Yeah, and in 2020, he actually posted his highest uh, expected slugging over 500. So he's starting to hit for a little bit more power. It'll be interesting to see how that grows. On the opposite side of the spectrum, you have a more established guy in Didi Gregorius that went to Ricky. I'm pretty sure he was bummed that, Tim, uh, that Sean did not follow his instincts and went with Tim Anderson no matter what. Uh, do you feel good about getting Didi Gregorius here, Ricky? You know, here's a veteran, another former Yankee player. So I'll, I'll chalk it up as another Yankee guy. I, <laughs> I got to a point here in this draft that I had to start taking guys from other teams. Um, so I'm kind of glad I didn't get Tim Anderson. <laughs> sure, you want the whole White Sox team, but you got to play by the rules. So Didi Gregorius, a uh, veteran guy who's just going to consistently give you numbers. And when we talk about the next uh, – player that I have and Alex Bohm. Uh, we're going to talk about a guy who Didi Gregorius seemed like he was on base 
every time Alec mm-hmm. Bone got an RBI last year. And so okay. him batting ahead of him, getting on base, is going to be a good place for uh, him to get some good RBI situations. So I know we're kind of short on time. I'll just wrap it up and keep going here. That's fine. Uh, Luis Urias is my next pick. I've always liked him, but I want to see more of him. But as we keep mentioning, the pickings are slim. Uh, there's a big, giant drop-off in talent, and there's not a lot of good middle infielders, at least in my book, there isn't. So I went with a guy, I, a, a, an old favorite of mine, Luis Urias, but he needs to stop, start stepping up because the Brewers are I already... want him to work so bad, but I just Same don't here. think it's going to happen. I don't know what's holding him up, but yeah, I mean, the Brewers are loaded and uh, in terms of uh, getting... Uh, in middle infield depth, which is something I wish the White Sox would have done so they could at least hide Nick Madrigal a little bit. Same with what the Brewers are doing with Luis Suarez and possibly Orlando Arcia. But here we are. So we'll see how that goes. Juan Mancada, you just mentioned that he could be a potential 30-30 one day, which is good for all White Sox fans and all Juan Mancada uh, prospect uh, fantasy leaguers out there. Uh, former pedig- high pedigree, highly touted prospect. Uh, got slowed down by COVID last year. He admitted as much that he, as he was not the same. So hoping that he can uh, rebound from the uh, side effects and the aftermath of COVID and start producing like the former highly touted prospect that he can be. Alec Bohm, as Ricky mentioned, uh, the next wave of third baseman coming up. What do you like most about Alec Bohm there, uh, Ricky? I mean, what's not to like this kid is he's just a specimen. The guy's, you know, he's a big kid, six six four six five. He sprays the ball to all field. He was the second rookie of the year, only to Devin Williams, but he led the league in, in rookies for batting average at 338. Um, his OPS was at 881. I mean, slugging 481. This this kid just just when he started to play, he just he was consistent model uh, on what he was doing. Like I said earlier, I think. Um, I think Sean offered me a trade for Tim Anderson, the 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 Kyle Bohm for Bohm. I mean here, and I was like, no, 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 no. Let's <laughs> let's not start with that. I I got him fair and square. He's mine. He's definitely a guy I would get in my keeper league. Um, somebody that Philadelphia third baseman. You can't go wrong. You know, Mike Smith. Come on, there's legacy there. Yeah, Scott Rowland, Dave Hollins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I know we're trying to speed through these infielders, but God dang it, I wanted Alec Bohm so bad. I thought Felipe was going to pick him. He, Ricky was going to pick Moncada, and then I was still going to be stuck with my pick. But when uh-huh. Felipe didn't pick him, I got my hopes up. Uh, Alec Bohm is a special player. Uh, he's one of the most advanced bats I think I've seen reach the majors in the last few years, uh, which is really like I, I think him and Andrew Vaughn are pretty similar. I think Boehm has a little bit more defensive versatility in that he could actually play third base. Well, Andrew Vaughn kind of plays third base, but is more first base DH. Mm-hmm. Um, him batting in front of Bryce Harper for the next six years, I think you're about to see a very much how Anthony Rendon was to Bryce Harper. Alec Boehm is going to be that new Anthony Rendon for Bryce Harper. Yeah, maybe he can make uh, Philadelphia a little bit more fun for Bryce Harper. That's cool. <laughs> hey, does uh, anybody have an ADP on um, on uh... I'm bone here. Uh, it's right inside the top 100, or right outside the top 100. I'll pull it up. From yeah, 108, 108. Okay. Well, and uh, just to clarify, I do have Yon Mancata ranked higher than Alec Bohm at the moment. So uh, yeah, I was gonna go with my cheat sheet. In here. categories, yes. In points, I definitely lean toward Bohm. All right. Well, you're stuck with Eduardo Escobar, who uh, I'm convinced that him and Eddie Rosario and uh, I forgot who the other former twins player was they're all the same players so yeah it's really funny that you mentioned eddie rosario 
um, because I'm going to talk about that in a second. But the people forget that in 2019, Eduardo Escobar hit 35 home runs and had 118 RBIs. Like, holy shnikes. <laughs> but his ADP now, after a down 2020 season, <coughs> which is a phrase we're getting all too familiar with, um, his ADP now is outside the 232, after 220. It's at 242. Um, meanwhile, Eddie Rosario, who we always say is the same player, has an ADP right outside the top 100 at 112. If you look at them side by side, the they're basically player. the same player. Um, <laughs> Eduardo Escobar, 796 OPS. Eddie Rosario, 800 OPS. Uh, they both have an OBP under 320. They both bat 262 or higher. Uh, they're both going to have middle of the lineup abilities. Escobar has 62 home runs. Rosario has 69 home runs. Nice. Uh, why is one you have to spend – in right outside the top 100 and the other one's essentially free. I don't get that. I, I, I'd pick Escobar over Rosario every day. And then Gene Segura, which is, nah. I was getting this close to getting him as my shortstop, but I just went with the upside pick. But yeah, Gene Segura is a pretty boring pick. Uh, go ahead and the steals are, I think, gone. Because yeah. I, I just now realized, but he put up one, two, three, four, five, six straight years of 20 stolen bases or more. Uh, only 10 in 2019 and two in the shortened season. Um, and he is age 30. So this is when we do start to see guys stop running. Um, he posts his first real negative BSR from fan graphs, uh, minus 1.1 in 2020. Uh, he did walk a little bit more, which was very un Gene Segura like. But um, he has some value as long as he's at the top of that Philly lineup. I have to ask you, Sean, uh, does it matter? Because I know the big hit on him was that Gabe Kapler did not like running. Uh, George Girardi, I don't know what his uh, – I forgot what his MO was in terms of uh, letting the runners run, but will he allow some of these guys to run a little bit more or is the fact that Bryce Harper in the lineup or guys like him in the lineup uh, a little bit too dangerous for them to be uh, aggressive on the base pads? Uh, I mean, in 2020, he was two stolen bases, two caught stealing. In 2019, when Kapler was the manager, 10 stolen bases, two caught stealing. Um, his percentages have never been great. He's yeah. always just kind of accumulated them. Um, and he's played for a lot of losing teams. So they don't, that's how they manufacture runs. Yeah. Um, if Philadelphia is really trying to contend, <laughs> they might stop running. So we'll see. Right. And if, uh, if, if they stop running, then Gene Segura loses about 95% of his value. <laughs> Colton Wong, uh, we go to Ricky's team now. Colton Wong uh, signed seemingly at the 11th hour with the Brewers, and that that signing con just completely shifted their entire infield. Uh, but Colton Wong ha has uh, had a history of staying in, uh, struggling to stay in the lineup. I know he's a Gold Glove winner, so that means that he's been able to successfully play every day without any hitch or, or any struggles. But we know better. We know how him being left-handed has – um, affected him in a negative way there again, Sean, one of the running themes here of the show. Uh, but how do you see Colton Wong playing out for the Brewers in 2021 there, uh, Ricky? Listen, I mean, you said it, he, he's a gold glove. It's not going to add a lot of value to fantasy. Um, we were stretched here at, at middle infield position. Um, right. seemed like all the picks were taken and you had to go with a name. Uh, I like the intangibles that he brings in the real season as far as fantasy player that somebody probably wouldn't touch, but um, just for sake of having somebody uh, that needed to get picked up, I went with Colton Wong. 
Yeah, I mean, when in doubt, just pick Colton Wong like late in the yeah. drafts. It seems like that's he, always my rule. He does so. have some fantasy value, especially in an OBP league. Over the last four years since 2017, he's got a 356 OBP. That's nothing to really uh, snuff at. Um, 43 stolen bases over the last four years with a career-high 24 in 2019. He had five in the shortened season, so that comes out to right around 17 stolen bases and, and a full 162. And while his defense itself doesn't translate to fantasy – it does keep him in the lineup, which does translate to fantasy. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's a solid little pick, especially if he bats like leadoff. I, I don't think that's something a lot of people have talked about. Uh, Lorenzo Kane, if he comes back, should still be in that one or two hole. But if he's batting in front of Christian Yelich with a 360 OBP, then you're talking about a candidate to lead the league in runs possibly. Yeah, good point there. Scott Kingery, um, I, I think I told you guys I was not very excited for this pick. Uh, the most that he could be is a 10-10 guy, 10 home runs, 10 stolen bases. But, yeah, that, this was just like, all right, just whatever. I, I just want to move on because there's really nobody left at middle infield. This, this is easily one of the worst collections of middle infielders that we have witnessed so far in this exercise. So I'm glad that this is over and done with. I'm never going to talk about Scott Kingery ever again if I can help it. Uh, Reese Hoskins, however, is a personal old favorite of mine. Uh, I was able to get both Andrew Vaughn and Reese Hoskins, which is always a, a nice little goal to have, is to have a good veteran uh, at one position and follow him up with uh, a nice young hotshot prospect. That way you can have a little bit of insurance. But Hoskins, uh, not a very exciting pick, but he's a pretty solid player and, uh, and an established first baseman, so you can't do worse as uh, – the pickings are also getting slim here at the corner infield position as well. Christian Walker uh, goes to Ricky. Uh, oh boy, that's a tough sell for me, but uh, sell me on Christian Walker. Well, I can tell you on this. I mean, it, it, prior to 2019, obviously, you know, he was young, didn't do much. And 2019, he has a breakout year. He hits 29 home runs, 86 RBIs. Uh, last year in the shortened season, he had seven home runs with uh, 35, uh, 34 RBIs. Um, and so when, when you start looking at his projections, you know, they're talking about anywhere between, you know, 25, 28 home runs and, and, and maybe 80 to eight to 90 RBIs, um, you know, at this stage in the, in, in the draft, uh, I, I like a kid like that, you know, and, and again, I had to pick somebody else. I didn't have an Arizona guy, so I had to pick somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you should have picked Matt Bushnell. He's an Arizona guy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Moving on, Nate Lowe. Uh, one of my, uh, I, I, um, I was kind of hesitant to get him because I, I just don't know, but I do like him. Sean, you rolled the dice with him. Um, how high is the ceiling? Do you think? I think the ceiling is abnormal. Is just outrageously high. Really? Uh, he is a guy who um, prospect, you know, evaluators have just, you know, especially the ones on Twitter. Uh, they're like free Nate low, you know, with the Rays, it was always just going to be like a short side of a platoon. Even though if you go and you look at his minor league splits, he hit lefties very well. He never struggled against them. Uh, he did have some issues against lefties this year in 2020. Uh, but in 2019, he actually had a higher OPS. He had an OPS over a thousand in uh, only 28 plate appearances versus lefties. So I don't think it's like he's really a platoon risk. Uh, I know you think he's a lefty and lefty is bad. Um, but in the minor leagues, he, for his career, he was a 300 hitter on the dot, 300 average, 400 on base on the dot, 483 slugging, 
And that was without him really tapping into his power. Um, his last three years uh, or last three stops at double A with the biscuits in 18 and then triple A 19 or 18 and 19 with Durham. Uh, he posted sluggings of 606, 460 and 508. So I think he's still tapping into that raw power that he does have. I believe Fangraphs has it ranked as a uh, 65 raw power um, with a potential 55 grade hit tool. I, I think he's an elite hitter. I don't want to put the ceiling at like David Ortiz, but I, I see that skill like that. That's this kind of the same. They hit both sides. A good uh, plate discipline. I do. I really do like Nate Lowe. It is sad to see him not be able to play on the same team as his brother, Josh Lowe. But uh, that would have been fun to watch if they could have had it happen. And the, the fact that he goes to Texas, he's going to get more playing time. So that's I think that's yeah. that's a that's a not decent the acquisition trade-off. of Chris Davis might muddy the waters a little bit, but I still like Nate Lowe. And then from there, we move to the pitchers finally. As uh, as you guys can see, different format this week. Starting pitcher, relief pitcher. Starting pitcher, relief pitcher. So we're going to go back and forth between those two entities. And Sean gets us rolling with Garrett Cole. Uh, do we really need to talk about Garrett Cole? I mean, but... he's Garrett Cole. He's, right. he's Luke... really, really good. Moving on to Lucas Giolito. Uh, do we need to talk about Lucas Giolito? Anything uh, there? Or, Ricky, you want to mention about Lucas? The only thing he needs to improve on to me is his walk rate. I mean, it's 34 eight per nine innings. If he can get his walk rate down, he's going to step up to that next tier level, that, that superstardom level we need him to be at. And Sean, did you have anything to add to about Lucas a little before? Uh, I, I still think there's room for him to grow with Grandall behind the plate. Although, if I remember correctly, James McCann was his personal catcher. So Correct. there might be, you know, a learning curve. There, it might be better. It might be worse. We'll see. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how Grandall, who's you know, been a very, very good pitch frame over his career does with Giolito. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think here. Oh, Zach Collins is still the backup. Okay. Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola, a decent pitcher. Not the greatest pitcher, but just the, you know, solid, solid starting pitcher. Uh, best of the bunch there. There was not a lot of elite uh, starting pitchers like there was before uh, uh, in previous weeks, but I, I'm happy with Aaron Nola. But what I'm really happy about is getting Josh Hader, who could arguably be the best relief pitcher uh, in fantasy, whether you're talking about saves or you're in a holds league. Oh, here we go. Josh Hader is younger than Liam Hendricks. I'm going to say that before we move on to Ricky's pick. But yeah, uh, just uh, my only concern is uh, how much does he have left in that arm? Because he's been utilized very heavily uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers, it seems like, as he's just been um, a, a, a godsend. But hey, Brewers are a very good uh, – they have a very good bullpen, so maybe it's uh, not that much of, cons- of a concern to be in. We move, we move on to Liam Hendricks, uh, who the White Sox just picked up. They personally saw him in that playoff game against the Oakland Athletics and uh, where he was sing- single-handedly trying to put that team on his, on his back in Oakland. How excited are you to finally have a, uh, an elite closer on the south side there, Ricky? Listen, Alex Colomay didn't do a bad job, first of all. I want to say that because a lot of people are bashing Alex Colomay. He had a, a, a pretty decent year for the Wysocks, a couple, two years. But Liam Hendricks is an upgrade. And if you can't beat him, it, it's good that he joined us. So I'm all right with that. 
<laughs> quickly moving on to Devin Williams, who was a personal favorite of ours from season one there, Sean. Um, how happy are you? Uh, since we talked about him at nauseam, just uh, give me a little big, uh, uh, quick tidbit about him before we move on to Zach. Well, Allen. he's going to be the best reliever in baseball in 2020 or in 2021, yeah. because I'm assuming that before the trade deadline, at least maybe a month, uh, Josh Hader will be traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers for a package around Gavin Lux, Edwin Rios, uh, maybe one of those starting pitchers like Josiah Gray. Uh, I mean, the Dodgers just have an embarrassment of riches. Uh, They do have a little bit of a weak bullpen. Um, I think Hayter is a great target for them. And they they can afford it, the Brewers can, with guys like Devin Williams to just fill in. He was, you know, a potentially Cy Young candidate. He was that good in his rookie year. And then uh, Zach Gallen. Uh, he's, uh, Ricky thought I was going to pick Aaron Nola, but I, I was going Zach Gallon all the way. He had a, a little bit of a step back year. Um, actually his ERA went down. I mean, actually now that I'm, don't listen to me. He was, he was basically the same. Uh, I think the strikeouts did go down a little bit. Yeah. Just slight, like half a percent. Um, he's the ace out there that nobody's going to talk about because it's Arizona, but he's a great pitcher and he's got a, yeah. the full repertoire with the outstanding changeup. So I'm automatically in. Well, I was hoping to get Brandon Woodruff, but Ricky beat me to the punch as uh, I guess the secret's out on Brandon Woodruff that he's a pretty decent or better than decent pitcher. Uh, What do you like about Brandon Woodruff here, Ricky? You know, he keeps the ball down. He's got a 49% ground ball rate. Um, He's a guy who's got, I think, just about 11 11 Ks per nine innings. Uh, You know, he's he's a good pitcher, man. He's well-rounded. Yeah, I like him a lot too, but I also like Corbin Burns, so it, it was kind of a consolation. They're one A and one B, pretty much. Yeah, I remember uh, last year, uh, Cubs fans were making fun of him because, yeah, at the beginning of 2020, he was very wild. Um, just you know, I mean, like, I mean, stuff is magnificent, but just very wild out there and uh, on the mound. And eventually, he put things together and showed why he has the upside and why people um, in baseball circles and especially in Milwaukee are excited about Cor- Corbin Burns. Um, uh, Corbin Burns' future up there. Uh, and then if that wasn't enough, if, I, if it wasn't enough to get Josh Hader, uh, who I think is the number one pr- uh, relief pitcher coming into this season, I end up getting the number one relief pitcher in fantasy for the last three or four seasons in a, a role as Chapman. So it just keeps getting better. You guys just keep giving me all the left-handed uh, power pitchers. So I appreciate that. That's great. But then Ricky what? comes back. Oh, go, what's Did up? I really have a chance to pick a role as Chapman and I didn't? No, you picked Evan Williams. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. That, oh that, I, I told you this was my least favorite team. Uh, I loved my teams the last two weeks. This was my least favorite one. That was a goof on my part. Oh, I'm dumb. <laughs> I'm a, I'm big dumb. And then uh, Jonathan Hernandez uh, going to Ricky. Uh, say something about Jonathan Hernandez there, Rick. I can tell you one thing. He had more wins coming out of the bullpen than, than some of the starting pitchers in, <laughs> in, in 2020. I think he went like five and one. Um, the vulture. Know, he, he, <laughs> You know, potentially could could be the close over there, I, I believe. Um, but um, who did they? They, um, they had Rafael Montero, but he was traded to the Mariners. So Jonathan Hernandez yeah. and Jose Leclerc and my next reliever, well, not my next reliever, but my second to next reliever, all should kind of battle for the closer role. But Jonathan yeah. Hernandez has proved the most so far. Uh, Leclerc definitely has closer upside, but he's just been all over the place. So, yeah. All right. And then, geez, you actually, I can't believe Sean went with Hector Neris, who just got awful last year. Very inconsistent. I was very high on him last year. And 
I'm done with him. I don't want. I don't believe in him anymore. But why should we believe in Hector Neris coming into this season, Sean? Because while he did have an ERA over four and a half, he had what was the total number of saves? He had five saves. Not bad. He had 28 the year before. But at what um, cost, Sean? At what cost? His expected ERA was underneath four. If that makes you feel better. No, it doesn't. <laughs> um, he he still has the splitter. And as we know, with split finger pitchers, sometimes they lose it. Sometimes they get it back and then they lose it again in a short season. That doesn't bode well for a guy. If you don't have it, Um, it was, this was actually the worst year for a splitter in terms of results against, it was still a great pitch, but it's usually one of those pitches that they're batting like well under 200 with it. They batted 220 this year, although he had like almost a career high whiff rate on it. 50% of the splitters he thrown were whiffed. So, um, he's at this point I'm looking for saves and I think yeah, Hector yeah. Neres can get me saves. Zach Wheeler then immediately goes to you. who is uh, one of my favorite pitchers, but I just, uh, I me couldn't too. pass up the guys I passed up on. Uh, so Zach Wheeler, tell us about him a little bit. He, you look at the baseball savants player similarities. You see 2019 Cole, 2020 Walker Bueller, 2020 Brandon Woodruff. That's really good company. He still throws. A, I mean, people forget how good of a prospect he was. Um, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He is really, really good. The issue that he's going to run into, and this was kind of shocking for me, is he did throw his four seam more uh, going to the Rockies, or not to the Rockies, to the Phillies. Um, But it actually got hit harder. His sinker was one of his better pitches, and people looked at his year and were like, wow, his strikeouts were really down. Like, I think his K per nine was like just right above seven. But he had a great year. He had a two night. He had an ERA under three, um, and he was going deep into games. I mean, he was consistently going six, seven innings. And he pointed to that sinker usage, especially early in games when he was trying to you know get outs, uh, which was always something he struggled with. With the Mets, was going deep in the games. Um, and then you add in that he has two plus breaking pitches, a slider and a curve. Both had whiff rates well over thirty eight percent. Uh, he's just a well-rounded pitcher add on. He gets JT Romuto for the five years for the next five years, JT Romuto, the fielder, not the hitter. Um, I think the sky's the limit for him and he's a dark horse Cy Young candidate. All right. Lance Lynn going to the White Sox and a lot of people in the baseball group were kind of scratching their heads as to why the White Sox uh, pulled the trigger and gave up on Dane Dunning. But I was ecstatic because we finally got a veteran pitcher on that rotation to get us, uh, uh, a little bit further in the playoffs. Is that the same way you see it, Ricky, or how do you see yeah, it? Yeah, the only thing I see about this, the, the one thing that, you know, just speaking on the White Sox term, I mean, he was rumored to come at the trade deadline last year. We really needed that arm. I, I think yeah. the White Sox could have had a great run last year had they had uh, pulled the trigger on that Lance Lynn deal um, in the trading deadline. They waited till after the year. Um, I'm ecstatic about it. He's a big guy, innings eater. Um He's going to show it to you. He's going to say, here it is. Hit it if you can. Um, he's not afraid to challenge um, batters. That could be a, a bad thing, but also it could be a good thing. Uh, hopefully the defense steps up and and, and the White Sox uh, can get uh, better. They need more depth in pitching, but this is a, a, a good step in the right direction. Yeah, they definitely need more because right now I, I believe it's still Dylan Cease. And now, well, Carlos Rodon, I mean, he's back with the team. So, yeah. Uh, well, he's the number five starter. So, I mean, among yeah. as, as, <laughs> he's the number five starter. As, so far, as, live number with five, <laughs> as far as number five starters go, I mean, you can't, you can do a lot worse than the Carlos Rodon. And unfortunately, you still have Dylan Cease. You're still trying to develop him as well. 
So that, this is why the, the Twins and a lot of projections are still ranked ahead of the White Sox, which, Sean, I think we're, we're due for a, another prediction for the month of February. So um, um, my January prediction of the White Sox making, making the World Series does not look so good right about now, and I don't feel as confident as I did. Actually, I don't feel very confident whatsoever about the White Sox and the Mets meeting the World Series in 21 after all this stuff that has happened in the in the last 30 days or so. But we'll get yeah, to that. Yeah, the um... – what was it? The reports on Dylan Cease coming out of spring training so far are really, really good. And we all, all know yeah. he has great stuff. Yeah, so I, I think he's going to be the number five personally over Adon. But um, he's a guy to target that I don't think was picked here. And that was kind of shocking to me. Maybe I should have picked him over Dunning. I don't know. No, I have I have a bad taste in my mouth about uh, Dylan Cease. So I avoided him. I went with Luis Severino instead the guy with the Tommy John surgery. So uh, as you'll see, Sean, I picked uh, Noah Syndergaard last week. And this week I have no hesitation about picking Luis Severino this week as I'm excited to uh, uh, see if he can come back and bounce back. As Henry likes to point out every single time, Luis Severino and Noah Syndergaard are pretty much the same pitchers uh, coming out of both uh, playing in New York. So, yeah, I'm going full upside as – as I see here, Sean, the, the, the just like all the other, uh, it seems to be a running theme for this week. The the depth really falls off after the top guys are taken, even at pitchers. So, I think I this was up. the worst week for it in terms yeah. of like the lows. Yeah, I thought that first episode was bad, but I guess this is even worse. So I might as well just roll the dice with a guy like Severino, who has top 15 starting pitching potential. Moving on to Freddie Peralta, another uh, favorite of ours. I know Sean used to talk about him all the time, and Mm -hmm. he's still projected to be the long reliever for the Milwaukee Brewers. So that means cheap wins, uh, some cheap holds, and a whole hell of a lot of strikeouts from your relief pitcher if for, if you play in those uh, leagues where you have to start a relief pitcher. So I'm excited for that. I'm hoping for more of the same. Like I said, the Brewers are – I love their bullpen. It looks a little bit different this year. I'll have to check to see if uh, if it still uh, uh, it projects as well as last year's team. But, uh, man, it, it, their middle relief looks a little shaky, but yeah, the top end of it's like probably the, one of the best in baseball. Yeah, so and Freddie Peralta is a part of all that. Uh, we moved to Ricky's pick of Stefan Crichton. Is that how you say his name? Yes, Crichton. Crichton. Yeah. Uh, Tashan or Crichton, something like that. Crichton, yep. Well, yeah. this guy's supposed to always be saving for uh, or closing games for the Diamondbacks, and for some reason, he doesn't get rewarded for that position. Uh, do you well, see him getting that role this year, Ricky? Well, I don't know if he'll get the road. I think they, they, they ended up um, signing Soria. Is that correct? Yeah, they just uh, signed Joaquin Soria. Yeah. So, I mean, he's going to battle for that spot. He's, he's going to, if you're playing in a league that has holds, he may be your hold guy. This guy has a, a rate of, of 83% uh, left on base percentage for, for runners. So even if he inherits those runners, they're, they're staying on base. So he's not letting those runs come across. Um, so he, he may be a solid pick down, down in the end of the draft there. You're using relief pitchers in your fantasy. He's a guy that in my 30-team dynasty in the last couple of weeks of the season, I, I picked him up. He was on waivers. He In a league with t- over 1,200 people rostered, he was not rostered. I picked him up. He ended up getting like five or six saves down the stretch, became their, you know, de facto closer. And then when they signed Soria, everyone assumed that, you know, Crichton was going to lose his closer's role. Uh, GM Mike Hazel came out and said – that it is still very much a competition and that both of those guys could receive save opportunities. And one thing that's really interesting about Stefan Crichton, he's a two pitch pitcher, sinker curveball. Um, his curveball is actually insanely good more than more so than you would think. But um, we haven't talked about it yet on the show, but baseball savant introduced the spin direction uh, part 
and his sinker and curve are 100% true mirrors of each other, meaning that when they come out of his hand, one spinning one exactly one way and the other spinning exactly the opposite, which is very, you know, uh, deceptive to hitters. And although he doesn't throw that hard, um, you look at his baseball Savant sliders and you're like, okay, he's, he's okay. His exit velocity is meh, but he's 99th percentile in barrel rate allowed. So he, these hitters, they just, they can't get good, good wood on the ball. And I think that's a skill that he has and he's still a young pitcher. You know, he's relatively new, but I like him as a sneaky candidate for saves. Yeah. It seems like, like I said, he's always getting the close result, but he never does, but you guys will see that he got picked ahead of Archie Bradley in this exercise. So that should tell you all you need to know about uh, the whole situation. Well, with- Archie Bradley's going to the Phillies and the Phillies are coming off being one of the worst bullpens in baseball. History. Well, that's what I mean. And Archie Bradley's <laughs> supposed to be the closer down there, but we'll get to him in a little bit. Demarcus Evans, who's uh, with the Rangers that uh, you mentioned him, you kind of alluded to him uh, earlier in this, uh, in this uh, podcast there, Sean. Tell us something about DeMarcus Evans that we uh, – well, obviously nobody should know who DeMarcus Evans is. He's, uh, he's a very relatively oh, new player. Oh, so. au contraire. So with DeMarcus Evans, you know, uh, Ricky picked Jonathan Hernandez. I think Jonathan Hernandez best serves his team and himself being that fireman role, much like Seth Lugo, Andrew Miller, guys that can go a couple – more three-plus outs – and you fit him into wherever you need him in the game instead of just a dedicated closers role. Demarcus Evans, if you remember about this time last year, I was screaming the praises of a guy with a very high minor league walk rate named James Karinchak. Demarcus Evans is the next James Karinchak. Uh, If you look at their strikeout numbers, both posted Ks per nine well over 16 at multiple levels, uh, ranging anywhere from 13 and a half to 15 and a half, all the way to 16 and a half. Um, the issue with DeMarcus Evans, much like James Karinchak, was he has no clue where the ball is going. Uh, he posted minor league walk rates as high as seven and a half in almost 30 innings in 2017. He got that down in 2018 to four and a half. And then in 19, between eight or high A and double A, he was 6.8, 5.2. But he still posted 0.81, 0. 0.96 ERAs in those two stops. So he's a guy who doesn't really know where the ball is going. Uh, he did give up a lot of hard contact in his debut season. He only pitched four innings in 2020. Right. But if you see somebody with a 70-grade fastball, even though it only averages about 93, 94, um, it has really good life up in the zone. He, he's right over the top, so a good curveball too. Um, I think he is the guy. I was the same way about James Karinczak. He Keep an eye on this guy. He could blow up. And, you know, Karen Jack went on to become one of the best relievers in the AL. Oh, you know, what do I know? <laughs> and then, uh, speak, well, here's an, a guy with a little bit more uh, known pedigree in Jamison Tyone. He's went out with the Yankees. You pick him up on your team. Uh, I guess you believe that now that he's not with the Pirates, he should just be in a better place. Is that correct, Sean? Yeah, and he, had, he was already starting to throw that slider and really kind of ditch the sinker, starting to throw it less. Um of course, going to the AL East with a really rusty arm, hasn't pitched in almost two years, isn't always a good thing, but he is 29. Uh, he's going to pitch for a winning team. Uh, the ERA will probably go up. The home runs per nine will probably go up. He's probably going to be, I'd say, like a 3-8, 3-9 ERA, but I could still see him winning 10 to 12 games. Uh, and, of course, wins don't matter all that much, but they do in fantasy. In fantasy. And I still think his 
K's per nine have not because you look at his strikeout per nine numbers over his career and they're like right under one per inning. Um, I don't think that we've seen his ceiling yet. Uh, he has great command, great breaking slider. Uh, I still think there's another level that he can go to. And I think the Yankees can unlock that because they're really starting to dig into the analytics side of pitching. Um, making the rounds on Twitter this week was their closed in bullpen that they have down at their spring training facility where it's kind of top secret classified. It's like a basic a metal barn. And that's where they're throwing their bullpens where they have all the edgetronic Rapsodo machines and they're calling it the gas station. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's a little cringy, but you know. Get it? Because high speed. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> Thank you, Felipe. <laughs> Corey Kluber going to Ricky's team, the uh, former uh, Cy Young winner, the former best pitcher in all of baseball at one point of his life. Uh, now going to the Yankees. Uh, Ricky, you concerned about him having to pitch in a hitter's paradise in New York over there, or do you think he'll flourish? Uh, I don't know if he's going to flourish this year, to be honest with you. I mean, this is going to be that evaluation year again. There's a lot of questions that need to be answered about Corey Kluber, but he is a two-time Cy Young Award winner. Uh, the guy was dominant when he was uh, at the top of his game, and so you just like to have somebody on your lineup that that name just sounds good in your lineup, you know? Yeah. Especially the, in this exercise where he's uh, very deeper in your rotation, as opposed to being at the top of the rotation. So correct. no harm, no foul. If he's at the bottom of your uh, pitching list there, I went with Michael Kopech just because like I mentioned, we're running out of pitchers. We're running out of starting pitchers that I am intrigued by. I was close to getting Dallas Keuchel, but I said, you know what? I, I, th- I guess I was inspired because I, I heard a story about Michael Kopech hitting 102, I think, in the radar gun. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess it's he should be fresh from last year. He already got his Tommy John surgery. I don't know when he'll pitch this year, but eventually he will pitch this year because um, it just that's just the way it goes uh, in baseball. You know, when you have a hot shot fireballer like Michael Kopech, you have to – and you're in contention as well, you have to bring him up, whether – at the very least, to come out of your bullpen, even though that's not what he's built for. But whatever. Uh, it's a win-now mode for the White Sox. And then I went ahead and picked Chad Green, who's a, another personal favorite of mine. Um, the guy has a rubber arm. He kind of plays that Freddie Peralta role. Um, can step in and just uh, put out any fires. He's been one of the more consistent, more underrated relief pitchers. And with no more Adam Adovino there to hug up all the holds, I believe, I think Chad Green, is. Uh, it's his time to get all the holds that he will not have to share with those other Yankee relievers anymore. So yeah. I like his 21 in the, in those deep, deep leagues that utilize relief pitchers in that regard. And then we get to Archie Bradley, who we kind of uh, mentioned earlier on. Uh, Archie Bradley is kind of a sore spot for me and for Sean, I guess, but Ricky, you have, uh, I guess you have some high hopes for Archie Bradley coming into the season. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. It's not so much that I had high hopes, but I hope you guys noticed something about Sean's lineup. Sean had picked all the errands, and I was going <laughs> to go with Aaron Bummer, who's who's a setup guy for the White Sox. I've had enough White Sox, and I said, I'm just this going to be a setup pick. I'm going to pick up Bradley, <laughs> and I'm going to just set the table for Sean to go ahead and pick another Aaron. And he took I've the been beat, trapped. So, you know. <laughs> I was schemed. <laughs> uh, is this Ricky Velasquez or is this Phil, Phil Helmuth over here? <laughs> Setting up traps like a poker table. Um, but all right. But is there any, uh, I don't no, know. Bra- any- I mean, you know, Bradley's, a, you know, he, he's a good pickup for, 
for Philadelphia. I mean, he's, he, you know, he's a good reliever guy. You know, I mean, I'm surprised he was still there. You guys uh, let him fall to me. I took him and um, I wouldn't mind having him get some saves opportunity with the Phillies and say, let's see what happens. Yeah, I don't like him at all. I, 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 he's, I'm he's confused by Archie Bradley. Sour taste in my mouth. So one, he's 28. I would have yeah. thought he was like 36. It's the and, beard, man. It ages you. And then in 17 and 18, it seemed like for the last two years, really the second half of 18 and all of 2019, Arizona wanted nothing more than to make Archie Bradley the closer. They, they wanted him to just take it, run with it, so they could probably flip him and try and market him as this elite uh, relief pitcher closer, and it just never happened. But in 2017 and 2018, he combined for 59 holds. That has yep. to be probably the major league lead over that time period. Um, he had 18 saves and seven holds in 2019, six saves and two holds in 2020. I'm not sure how he's going to do as a dedicated closer. Uh, he, I, I just, he confuses me. He's good. And then he's not good. He has great stuff. And then it's gone. He gives up home runs and then he has high ground ball rights. <laughs> I, I, it, he's a contradiction in every sense of the word. Oh boy. I'm looking up at the 2017, 2018 holds really quick. As I'm now, you got me. Uh, <laughs> I've piqued your interest. Yeah, but Archie Bradley does lead the league and holds from 2017 to, to 2018 only, uh, followed by guys like Adam Adovino, like I mentioned. Just, it just means Chad Green time then, if that's the case, in New York. Uh, Tommy Hunter, Carl Edwards Jr., Taylor Rogers. So the who's who of, uh, of pretty damn good relief pitchers who are not trusted enough, or not trusted enough, but just like these teams would prefer, like Archie Bradley, as much as the Diamondbacks saw him as a closer, he was more valuable as a seventh, eighth. Yeah. And that's how they, yeah, that's how they used him. And that's why you guys can't pick with emotion. You have to look at the stats sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, speaking of, speaking of guys who uh, teams would prefer to be at that seventh and eighth inning guy, Aaron bummer. What a bummer for you, but no, no, I don't think he's ever going to, be uh, chipping in and helping out with saves because his arm is too valuable for those seventh and eighth inning uh, appearances. Hey, Liam Hendricks is just throwing one slider too hard away from Aaron <laughs> Bummer getting saves. I don't but want to in speak me- injury into existence, but oh, that was the whole reason of this Aaron Bummer pick. Of course, he was one of the most like, interesting 20. Yeah, I mean, for holds too. But um, 2019, he was one of the sneakiest relievers in baseball. And then in 2020, he got hurt right at the beginning of the year. Um, he, he had an exit velocity against, which is kind of funny, over 94 miles an hour. And you're like, wow, that's really not good. And then you realize that his average launch angle against was almost not negative nine degrees. Last year, it was negative two and a half. So these guys just hit him right into the ground. Um, he didn't allow an extra base hit in all of 2020. He gave up five, uh, you know, yeah, five hits, all of them singles, one earned run. Uh, 14 strikeouts, five walks. I think he's a really, really good relief pitcher. Um, it's And like I said, he's just one slider too slidey from getting saves. He uh, had 27 holds in 2019, so that, that bodes well for him. Um, we finally move on to the last round here. Dane Dunning, former White Sox player, uh, just the guy who used to just make me angry every time I saw him with the White Sox. I'm actually glad that we got rid of him and got uh, Lance Lynn. But with the Rangers, he doesn't look so bad all of a sudden. He, he like, again, it's 2 a.m. It's time to go pick up that girl at the bar who's been sitting by herself this whole night. Let's go after Dane Dunning. 
That so, Dame Dane. <laughs> Dame Dane Dunning. What do you have to say about Dane Dunning there? Uh, I saw this. I, I wish I could credit it. I can't remember exactly where I saw it on Twitter. But somebody pointed out, and it made me go look, that among, you know, Dane Dunning is one of those complete pitchers as a full repertoire, sinker, slider, four-seam change, curve. Um, but none of his pitchers, uh, he had a 223, 223 Woba against on a slider, 239 on his uh, – Oh, 233. Oh my God. 223 sinker, 239 slider, 296 changeup, and 000 on his curveball, which he threw uh, only 7% of the time, which are all really good. I mean, that's elite levels. But then you look at his four scene, which he threw 21% of the time, it had a 439 Woba against. So is he one of those pitchers who is better off? just completely ditching his four-seamer and throwing the sinker more? Because the sinker, they batted 173 against. I mean, he didn't give up any extra base hits on it. It's He's one of those interesting case studies. He's 6'4", so maybe he does get really good downhill kind of sink on his sinker, and maybe the four-seam is just not going to work for him. Um, so he's interesting. He's going to get innings after they traded Lance Lynn for him. He's 26. I like the upside. And then Dallas Keuchel, uh, again, I, I was keeping my eye on him, but at the end I couldn't uh, pull the trigger on him. But yet another veteran pitcher that goes to Ricky's team. Um, give us something about Dallas Keuchel here, Rick. Um, he better step it up in the postseason if, if we get there this year because he was the biggest disappointment we had in, in the postseason this year. Um, uh, Dallas Keuchel, I mean, listen, this, this kid – he, he's not a kid anymore, but this oh, guy could throw, for. you know, he, he, he could throw, he, 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 um, he is not going to overpower you, but he just has that, you know, he, he could just locate. He, mm-hmm. he has that ability to, to put the ball right in the right spot, you know, throw a lot of ground balls and stuff like that. Um, I, I had to pick somebody. I was really looking forward to picking up uh, uh, Dunning myself, but you know, Sean beat me to the punch. So I, I had, Looking and I was like, ah, I'll just go with Keiko. Nobody's picked him up yet. So it's kind of like that last pick. Yeah. Is Dallas Keiko just like the non Hall of Fame version of Tom Glavin? No. uh, (laughs) Dallas Keiko is left handed version of uh, Dan Heron. (laughs) Except, uh, I mean, Heron was kind of good for a little bit. I feel like Keiko's had a little bit more longevity. Well, they both throw 88, right? That's him. (laughs) Glavin didn't throw hard. (laughs) At least, you know, Keichel had a great changeup like Glavin. Did. That's that's where I was kind of going with it. No, I, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. But I, I'll take a look at that. Um, but yeah, uh, like I said, I was targeting him. Then I just I couldn't do it because I, I, I at this point I'm just gonna go for the upside guys. And Davy Garcia is one of those guys that falls into that category as he becomes the Mister Irrelevant of our exercise today. Um, Davy Garcia, I've had my eye on him for like the last two or three years now. He finally got called up and I snatched him up immediately and uh, he paid dividends for me and my points league as, uh, you know, he can pitch five innings, get the cheap wins because he's going to get a lot of run support. He just has to uh, show up and not, uh, not, not implode, I guess, but I'm excited for him. I really like him a lot. Uh, he's supposed to be a 50 future value pick here for according to fan graphs. Uh, was able to keep the walks in control in his debut last year. Um, strikeouts are a little low compared to everybody else, but that's fine. He's only, what, 21 years? 20, well, he'll be 22 in May. So just young, raw, 
uh, potential there. And uh, let's see, how's that fastball looking? Okay, so uh, the velocity is not there, but, you know, obviously this is more of a location. He, it's more of a deception and up in the zone and exactly. good ride on it, yeah. yeah. And he's a little bit on the on the – you know, slender side. He's a little bit lanky. He's, or tiny, not he's even tiny. Five nine. He's 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 yeah. me. He, he's uh, you know. I think that's why I like him so much because he has my the same height as I did. So I'm like, hey, if he could do it, anybody who's five nine can do it, right? So, but no, I'm excited. I know that he's been on top of the uh, Yankees list for a long time. So that's always a good thing to go after those guys for the for if anything, just to get those cheap wins in New York. You were saying, Sean. I'm sorry. I, I did just want to mention this to you. Um, it's kind of irrelevant to our exercise today. But on Fangraphs, the Yankees are actually projected to lead the league in starting pitcher war, obviously led by Garrett Cole in his five and his, or 5.6. Um, but tell me, if uh, Ricky, this is for you too. Do you take the over-under? They currently have Kluber, Tyon, Jordan Montgomery, Davey Garcia, and Domingo Herman to combine for 617 innings. Corey Kluber's made eight starts in the last two years. Jamison okay. Tyon's made less than that. Montgomery is just meh. And Garcia is going to be on a pitch count or an innings count because of his limited, you know, pro experience. And Domingo Herman hasn't thrown a pitch since, what, 2018, 2019? I, I think so that's like the most aggressive projections I've ever seen for them to actually hit 617 innings. Yeah, I mean, they're going to fill those innings in with other people. The Yankees are the Yankees are always going to be hurt. You know? <laughs> I mean, we're going to see Julie Chassin and Clark Schmidt. I mean, who I actually like Clark Schmidt more than I probably like Davey Garcia, but yeah. I think it's looking at the Yankees pitching projections and, you know, we have a lot of Yankees pitchers here. Uh, Luis Severino, by the way, is projected to throw 85 innings coming off Tommy John. Um, but I just I, it blows my mind to see Kluber and Tyon combined for 280 innings. There's like there's just no way of that, right? <laughs> Well, I mean, that goes on to our next topic of discussion, and then we'll finish with this one since we do have Ricky on board. I, in January, I was brash and put it out there that the White Sox should be a better team than the Yankees. A month later, the Yankees finally woke up and you know started stockpiling some more, and now I'm not sure. Uh, I'm a little bit hesitant to go with the White Sox all the way through. But uh, I guess, uh, Ricky, do you believe that the 2021 White Sox will – finally make it to the world series this year or will the Yankees just come out of nowhere, so to speak, and overtake them and be the AL representative? Or do you see anybody else in this American league make uh, representing the Amer uh, the world series and uh, for the league? Listen, I, I think going into the season, those have to be the two um, favorites going in. Um, and I think some valid points. I mean, you've made it. I, and I think, um, you know, you hear it a lot until the White Sox uh, don't beat Minnesota per se you know, a lot of people are, are counting them out. You don't necessarily have to win the division, but even if you – I think they will win the division this year. Um, you know, people have won the World Series as a wild card. Yep. And I, I, I believe that the White Sox has what it takes, you know, to get over the hump. And you never know. They could still make some acquisitions during the season uh, toward the trading deadline. The one thing that I have concerns about Chicago is, is their starting pitching. They need that in starting pitching. If they can get another arm or one of these guys step up, whether it's Kopik or or Dylan Cease or or you know, even Rodan or or hell, Lopez, you know, gets out of his ass and does something. If one if something, you know, 
could bode well for the White Sox if they get some depth in pitching. They have a tremendous lineup. They have a tremendous bullpen. There's no reason why. That's why the games have to be played. But mm-hmm. I can see them getting to a World Series, if not this year, definitely by next year. Yeah, I was looking at their um, bottom four. Uh, they're like kind of six through nine of the pitching staff, and it's Carlos Rodon. I know that name. Jonathan Stever. I've heard of that name. Oof, Ren- upcoming kid. Reynaldo awesome. Lopez. Meh. And then this guy, I swear to God, he's a generic name that was auto-generated by the computer, and he doesn't actually exist. Bernardo Flores Jr. I've never heard of him. <laughs> like that, so that that speaks to your, they do need some depth. But they also have such established veterans up at the top, like Lynn and Keuchel, that I think they, and even Giolito now, that it kind of takes the burden off of those last couple of starters, whether it's Cease and Kopech or Rodon and Flo- uh, Lopez. Um, so that's why I, I, I love the Lynn trade for him. I thought that was a, a great move on their part. Necessary move. Of course. Yeah. And then the last thing, since we, since we talked about Dallas Keuchel, uh, here are some similarity scores according to baseball reference. So basically they, through the uh, magic of uh, number crunching and all that, they are able to figure out who some of these pitchers would uh, be similar to in years past. So here's some names that you notable names, I should say, by the way, not a single hall of famer here. So, yeah, that's why I don't like darn, the Tom Glavin prediction or the, or the comparison. Dallas Keiko compares to guys like Clay Buckles, Ugh. Jose Quintana. I see that. Chad Billingsley, which I don't see that. And Brandon Webb, just uh, again. Oh, little... God, Brandon Webb. Jesus. Yeah. What could he have been? He was so good. He was so, yeah. so good. And then there's similar pitchers to the age of 32. So Dallas Keiko uh, compares to a guy like Bob Ojeda. Okay. Shane, Shane Reynolds, Jake Arrieta. Oh God. Jordan Zimmerman. <laughs> I think that Jordan Zimmerman might be the best one. I think <laughs> the two hundred million dollar bandit Jordan Zimmerman. <laughs> and was that Quintana uh, the White Sox version of Quintana or the Cubs version of Quintana? Uh, it's a combination of the career. Two. <laughs> yeah. Hey, people forget Jose Quintana was pretty damn good with the White Sox. <laughs> And the White Sox fans forget about We haven't that. gotten to the Angels. They'll be on, I think, next week's show. I think next but week, can, uh, if you want to, want me to preview that, I can definitely. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, Quintana's a guy I, I'm picking in some really deep drafts, and I'm excited about him. He's still not signed, right? No, he signed with the uh, Angels, with I the believe. Angels. Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. Well, okay. Well, so here's our lineup for next week. I still don't know who the guest is going to be. It's going to be a last-minute thing, but uh, probably going to be someone from the West coast. So you got the Boston Red Sox, the Anaheim uh, angels of Los Angeles, California, orange County, South central California, uh, inland empire, California Orioles. The Baltimore Orioles are in there. St. Louis Cardinals, Oakland athletics, and the only Dodgers. So it's kind of, it's going to be heavy on the West coast. Uh, and you do have uh, some of the established East coast teams like the Red Sox and Orioles and the Cardinals who are supposed to be the class of the annals central, but somehow uh, a lot of the projections do not like the Cardinals going into 2021. So there's still a chance for this team right here. The Cubbies in a supposed to be a down year. They might steal that NL Central division, which will piss a lot of Cubs fans off because <laughs> I thought we were going to be in a fucking rebuild already. God damn it. And everybody wants to rebuild until it doesn't work out. Right. So, but yeah, man, fun show guys. Thank you so much, Ricky, for joining us. It's always nice to um, have a new uh, a voice in here. I, the point of these was, was to try to uh, bring in uh, some of our members, some of our more, our more established members, some of our more active members, and kind of reward them and give them a, 
a soapbox, so to speak. And uh, yeah, you want you not Felipe in his soapboxes. He likes giving them out now too, <laughs> almost as much as he likes standing on them. Hey yeah, guys, man. I really appreciate the opportunity. This has been uh, it's been fun working both uh, offline and, and and doing this show with you guys. Um, I get to catch you guys and. And just to be part of it this week um, is a total honor, and I appreciate the, the love that you guys uh, shot my way. Appreciate that. No, no, man, both ways, man. It goes both ways. Greatly appreciate it. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, uh, for uh, Sean, I am Felipe. This is the this has been the Total Basis Podcast. Be sure to check out all our other podcasts. We have Dong City Monday night. Uh, so they I, they have an episode. They have to have an episode this week because they didn't have one last week. Yeah, they're out. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with the Audible. I think they're due for an episode this week so everybody's coming back right I, I that's my guess at this point the step back you saw leon and jacob throughout the comments section leon making cracking jokes about certain players you can check out his uh, humor at wednesday nights at the basketball group ball is life um what, what i mean oh thursday nights the uh workshop podcast uh, wrestling is getting into high gear as wrestlemania season is upon us so there's like, gonna be a lot of pointing to signs uh, as we get closer to wrestlemania Look, look, it's a WrestleMania sign. Point at it. And then we Sunday mornings, we start your uh, uh, your, your life group podcast experience here at the Total Basis Podcast. We're trying our best to uh, weld both the real baseball and the fantasy baseball aspects into one big uh, ginormous uh, monster. Monster. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, Ricky, I am Felipe. We will see you next week. Bye, mom. Take it easy.